0: There's an, an air of vulnerability that comes off him. Why is that? Say more about that. Say more about it. Is that one of your fucking psychotherapist questions? <laughs>
1: Match commentary of me scoring a goal way back as a professional footballer. And then a clip of Tommy Tiernan calling me out for one of my effing psychotherapy questions. To be honest, that's a pretty decent way to sum up what's been a very strange and varied career for me so far. It's a career that started out way back in London playing for Millwall Football Club. But it took a fairly dramatic and turbulent detour for several years actually when a hip injury meant that playing football was just no longer an option for me. And it brought me down the path of psychotherapy. I'm Richie Sadler. And over the next eight weeks, I'm going to be continuing doing what I did with the second captain's lads over the last six years. I'm going to be sitting down to chat with people about episodes in their lives that they have found memorable, emotional, intense, challenging, life changing or significant in some way. That made sitting down to speak to me about it, someone they know who spends most of their time working as a therapist, seem like a natural thing to do. Up until now, those chats have been with people who started out in the world that I did, which is the world of sport. But in this new series, I'm going to be chatting to people from every kind of background, starting with our first guest, Tommy Tiernan. Welcome to episode. I'm sitting here with my producer, Killian. Hello, Richie. How are you? You will be side by side with me through this whole series. I will, and I'm very excited to do so. This podcast and this entire episode series actually is brought to you by Now. Now, we'll be talking about a load of subjects outside the world of sport. But if sport, and especially if football is your thing, and it's obviously one of my things, you should really, really consider a now sports membership. I notice that you don't look at me when you say that, Richie. I may be something less of an athlete than you, but I still do have a now sports membership. And what this is aimed at you? To, oh, you're a customer already? I'm okay. already a customer. You don't okay. need to sell to me. It's where you're guaranteed to get all the top Premier League games in the next couple of weeks alone... Now, have the biggest intercity rivalries. I'm talking about the old school British football rivalries. Mm -hmm. Now, I know, Cillian, you're looking at me now, you're expecting me to say Millwall v West Ham. You're expecting me to say Millwall v West Brom. Absolutely. But I'm talking even bigger than that, if it's possible. Now, have Liverpool v Everton and Man United v Man City over the next two weeks alone. So, whether it's for a day or for a month, now has the membership for you. Now, also has so much to offer if you're not into sports. And if you're Mm -hmm. not... One, I hope you're still with me. And two, just to remind you, this show is also for you, I promise. Okay, let's get on with the show, shall we? Let's do it, Rich. Well, here we are. Myself and Killian are sitting in my car, which, according to Google Maps, is parked about two minutes. From the home of our first guest, Tommy Tiernan, we've taken the drive from Dublin to Galway this afternoon. And more importantly, Richie, we're about two minutes from Tommy Tiernan's garden shed, the Hen House, which is where he now records his podcast with Hector and Lorita. And it kind of sounds like a perfect place to start the series. What a place. When you think about what this series, we hope it will be about. It's a series of conversations with people who, are, who aren't guarded, who aren't... Uh, afraid to be open and who are going to be quite engaging and willing to kind of delve into what they've been through and I'm choosing to interpret really positively that our first guest has invited us into their home for the conversation to take place That's a very different setting I think to where you've met Tommy for the very first time which was only about eight months ago Yeah I've only actually met him once and I was on his chat show in February my son had just been born and it was actually the first time I left the house for any kind of work related thing since Sam was born So I was quite emotional and really open that night. And one of the things I'd love to hear Tommy explain or delve into during that conversation on that chat show, he remarked that I was open and he seemed to suggest that Mm. openness is something that either he isn't or that he wouldn't be comfortable being Um, and I want to hear him explain that a little bit more, but also earlier this year, a lot of people who have been following his career know he would have been through, not for the first time, a controversy where he told a joke on stage um, and it was in Vicar Street and there was a person in the audience, Emer O'Neill, who's a person of colour. She was offended by the content of one of his jokes and she spoke publicly about her reaction and her feelings about it. So we'll hopefully hear him speak a little bit more about that. I haven't heard him speak at all about it, so should we head over? Let's do it. You go there. here.
0: God, this is a... It's ideal, isn't <laughs> <laughs> it? Happen? Oh my God! Cozy is
1: the, is just is the, the feel. You could
0: lose yourself here,
1: couldn't you? Well, it's just that it's very
0: quiet. Yeah. Tommy, you're very welcome. Thanks, Richie. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much for being our first guest. It's probably about eight or nine months since we first met each other
0: on your TV show. Yeah. He had a big impact, uh, with me anyway, and with viewers, because you were so... He seemed so settled and honest and not afraid of... Um, you weren't try- It didn't look as if you were trying to manage yourself. Uh, and that n- nudity is attractive, so when he asked me i said no problem
1: yeah you usually get guests that manage themselves in that scenario
0: um so i work in phrases okay so uh if my manager self phrase doesn't hold for every other guest that's been on then we'll have to abandon it but i th- i, I don't know there was a level of um there was a level of presence with you that was very attractive um I, I would say, when people ask me about different guests on the show, ones that stand out are... You stood out for me, um, Brenda Fricker as well. Mm. So when Brenda came on, she was... very... Uh, open about not being happy and not trying to pretend to be happy. And very... There was a kind of a... There's a ruthless streak in her, I think. she's kind of maintaining very strong eye contact and not playing the game. And then halfway through the interview, her mic had to be changed. Uh, And after that, then she just became this gifted kind of storyteller and told this really, really funny story uh, about being at the Oscars. So there's been, I don't know, maybe 100, 120 interviews over the course of the show. So, you know, I'd have... There'd be a handful of them that would stand out but for some reason yours kind of I, d- I just remember being struck by your I think Baz was the same Baz and there's been a few other people as well who just kind of go this is who I am I'm not trying to sell anything I'm not trying to be anything else. Uh, so that was, that was my memory of it my sense memory of it.
1: I'd be a big fan of the show and one of the things that struck me when I left that night was I, I was just w- wondering how much of a toll does a show like that take on you? Because I, I remember even if you just stick to our program that night, I don't know if you remember, I was on and I had just had a kid, so I was fairly raw and <laughs> emotions were spilling mm. out and we got into some heavy topics. Then I think you would a, a, a comedian on and there was a whole different energy and then they sent a woman from Ukraine out oh, afterwards yeah. and then there was a heavy discussion about war and, a, and, and, and for you to hold a space for all those conversations and three entirely different people and Entirely different energies back to back. Like, are you drained at the end of a night like that?
0: Put it in a, in a great way. Really? Yeah, like after the ride, you know, you, you, it's just that uh, I, can't, I can't give <laughs> any more. OK, well, that phrase I get. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, It's probably more demanding before the show than it is after it because I fret and worry. I worry about scenarios, about not have anything. What I've realised is Something will happen. You can't put two people together without something happening. It's just a a, a physical fact. But I fret an awful lot beforehand worrying about it. And last year was probably the first year that I took a step back from the worrying and i more in a kind of whatever happens, happens type of a space. But it is demanding. But it's not difficult really. That that might make it sound slightly more kind of harder than it is it really is just talking really
1: okay yes you are talking but there's an audience presence obviously it's for the purposes of a TV show Mm. but I think you've got to I just know from my experience that you've got to bring a certain something and I don't even know how you define it a presence or an energy where the person in front of you
0: can go I I can trust this fella, or I'll I'll just go with this fella, or, or even yeah. But if you're too conscious of that, then it becomes a mannerism. So, so you have to abandon that. You can't go that road. You you can't go. My job is to, whatever. Mm. You just sit there, because if the guest sits down and has a sense of this guy is actually just sitting here, he doesn't really have an obvious agenda. Then it helps them to kind of maybe to relax a little bit and go. Okay, this isn't a game. He's not after something here. This is just whatever happens, happens. So, but it is. Yeah, it's it's precarious. Yeah, Mm. for sure. But I I I I'm wired slightly off piste in that I probably have a touch of ADD going on. I choose difficult things, um, and then I'm obliged. To stick with them, <laughs> so <laughs> like years ago, I did this. Um, I was doing stand-up shows that had no preparation at all. Now they were, mm. they weren't. They didn't really succeed in the sense of entertainment. They absolutely had a value in terms of psychiatric assessment. But they, they weren't. It wasn't a comedy show. It was just some sort of strange roaring. Um, but I, and I know that's part of my makeup is there's a surge I work in surges I have this kind of blood rush to the head of ideas and notions and like a dopamine high of why don't we and I could and then and I go for it so for some reason I'm attracted like I used to ride a motorbike um, and it was the stress and the enjoyment were holding hands and it took me a long time to realise I could just drive a car and not be this worried. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I c- there are many things in my life that I could just let go of. Um, and by the way, if, if you weren't here, like you've asked me one question an hour ago and I waffle on, so if you weren't here, I'd be doing the same thing, so don't.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're here, I'm here for the ride. <laughs> So and also, I it's very easy to recreate your life in sentences that actually aren't accurate. So I'll say something and I will live in the dream of that for a while, and then on further reflection, I'll go that mm. probably isn't true. So that that's part of what's happening here as well. I I'll, I'll waffle on, and afterwards I'll be going, I'm such a liar. <laughs> but uh, so so I, say someone with ADHD. They need movement breaks. You know, they need to run around every now and again. So I, I might be a little bit like that. If I'm doing the same thing too often, I get really bored of it. Um, and I that, that can be in relationships as well. You know, it's not just work. Like I remember when I was younger, I remember going out with people and thinking this is perfect.
1: Going out with friends or going out with No, with partners, and like OK. That.
0: And this is brilliant. This is the best relationship I've ever been in. I'm in love. And then after about a month gone, I'm bored. I'm so fucking bored. I can't do anything about it. And it's, you know, it's my wife, Yvonne, who's also a psychotherapist, Mm. reckons that I have. She reckons I've somehow managed to create a life that has a synchronicity with my condition. Do you know that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in a factory or in a bank or working in Tesco where uh, my mind is in collision. Now, that's not true. My mind is in collision all the time with things. But I guess when you're a solo independent artist, I, I guess you have more time to indulge yourself. Neither of us can remember the question. (laughs) 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 One of the things, like you're
1: speaking really candidly and openly Mm -hmm. here now, like and you're slagging yourself for the fact that you just went, you took us somewhere there. I I don't know. I I genuinely don't know what I asked you at the start. Mm -hmm. One of the things you said to me when we met on the TV show was during the conversation, I think you like you did a moment ago, you observed that I had some kind of an openness or a vulnerability Mm. and then you inquired as to what that was like. Mm. As if, and I think you framed the question as if it was something that you hadn't experienced or something you'd push back against or shy away from, run run away from, I think was the phrase you used. What did you mean by that? I can't remember. Really?
0: Mm. Because
1: you kind of said something like, Openness and vulnerability—the idea of it—I think would be appealing. But if it was ever put to me or presented to me in the form of a pill, I'd—I'd—I'd—I'd I'd, I'd, I'd fear it, or I'd push back against it.
0: I'm not—I'm not mad for emotions. Do you know? <laughs> I'm not—I
1: don't. Is, really... is that what you meant? But you—you associate my openness with ease at being emotional.
0: Maybe, but, okay. I, but kind of to hell with that thing. Back then, now I can tell you that I'm not uh i I don't feel comfortable with emotions I don't feel comfortable being emotional i'd i if I had a choice I'd always choose my head over my heart and again that's so when I declare something like that that is not a um that's an awareness hmm. uh, almost looking at myself and kind of going hmm you might be one of these types of people as opposed to kind of making a plan for the day to avoid emotion or stuff like that. Um so I started recently uh keeping a diary where I commit to uh a couple of hours writing a day and because there doesn't seem like there's a couple of hours writing in the diary, you're forced to drill into what presents as a banality. And but if because you're kind of condemned to commit to the time typing, you have to dig into it to fill the space. So I followed a sentence and the sentence was, I prefer to not to be emotional and I prefer my head to my heart. It's safer. I don't want the danger of heart work. I don't want to be that open. I don't want to be that vulnerable. I don't want to be that hurt. It presents as a weakness to me. It presents as a wound. I don't want that. So th- so that's how I'd kind of half answer that question, Richie. Is that a kind of... Yeah, that, that's how I'd answer is, it.
1: Is that something that you can
0: say that you've been for quite a while? Is that a... Is that a- so we moved around an awful lot. So, mm. you know, by the time I was seven, I'd lived in about four different countries. Uh, and what I... Looking back on that, I can say that I would have made friends in each of those places. And then all of a sudden, those friends were taken away. And I was never to see them again. So that's hard for... That might be okay when you're three. You know, it's a bit more difficult when you're six and seven and eight. And it happened again when I was 16. And it happened again when I was 18. So that has an effect on you. I wouldn't have been very close to my mother... She was. She was a very. Uh, was somebody probably who, I think she. Well, she said to me one time that she wished that she hadn't had kids. So. She said to you. Yeah. What, what age were you when your mother told you that? About fourteen or fifteen. Um, so. You you kind of get all these. Uh, things that. That combined With the wiring Combined with all The different moving Combined with An ability To perform They all kind of And you know It it is still All in flux So now In my 50s You know I I was In my early 20s I was in a relationship And I, I had three children And I left that relationship Um. And I can say that the process of living with Yvonne, I've been married to Yvonne, is that's like, uh, that's probably been the most profound relationship of my life. It is the most profound relationship. It's the one that has the most healing in it. It's the one that I've never felt as loved as I do by Yvonne. But also it's, it, it probably, hoax at my neurosis in ways that no other relationship has as well you know so there's lots of different things going on there that um, and there's always all the time the realisation that we're in constant movement the
1: adolescent psychotherapist in me here is (laughs) is really (laughs) urging this conversation back to the moment when you're 14 mm. this is a stage of an adolescence where somebody is trying to get a sense of themselves and they're de- developing some kind of self-worth and all of those turbulent things that are happening in adolescence and then your mother says that to you. Mm. Was that in the middle of a fight? Was
0: that no, that all. It was walking in the park. Was, no, we're sitting, watching watching <laughs> <laughs> we're sitting down watching telly. We're sitting down watching telly when she said it. But it's it's... You know, so do you have a sense of how that impacted you back then or in years since? So it's kind of like, um, I, I was in Somalia last year uh, with Trokara and I was, so there was, they were on the edge of famine and uh, there's a thing called an uh, an internal displaced person, person's camp where all these people from the countryside came to the town in search for food. The children were dying. And I saw a child who died and I remember looking at the mother and it was there was no weeping. There was no screaming. It was like she wasn't there. There was a for her own survival she had to kind of disconnect and I saw it twice and I saw a child who was on the edge of death and died the following day and I remember watching myself kind of going how are you able to look at this? I think there's an act of disassociation that happens so when my mother said that to me I think it, there's an, there's not like you know uh, there's no what what do you mean there's no like what what dad mom said <laughs> you know? there's just you kind of just go okay uh-huh. all right okay yeah and I remember I don't know if I said it to her but I remember thinking oh I can see how you'd you'd say that and I remember absorbing it and I remember not being upset. Um, and not being, but it's, a, but it has come back to me in in. What does that mean? What do you mean it's come back to you? As an event, all oh, right. You know, I, I might have forgotten about it for uh, fifteen years, and then, but the act of stand up of trawling through your life, or the act of just silence, or the act of living, brings back things. that Sometimes you don't want to remember. And my mother was such a complicated hurt woman with her own strange wiring she committed suicide um, in 2011 I think Um, and so she was in such trauma and such pain she was 64 when she died you know and that's you kind of think Jesus you'd hope you'd be over the worst of it by then do you know that to be in such acute pain at that age where you can't you can't go on. Um, So there's, you know, it's not as simple as an assault where someone punches you in the face and you go, you punch me in the face. You have to pay for that. It's so, it's so layered with history and wiring and events and trauma that there's, it's very hard to have clarity on it. And it, And my refusal to look for clarity. What's your relationship like with her now? Um, I think I'm slowly. I'm more affectionate towards her now. More aware of. When someone's hitting you, your instinct, you just get away from them. And then maybe years later, when you're in another town, you kind of go, I wonder why? What was going on there? And then you move to another town and you're thinking, you start to get great empathy for... But also there's a lack of understanding. I don't really know mm. what formed my mother. Uh, I know that there were events you know, traumatic events. But that doesn't... That's not the full story. And, you know, my dad doesn't really want to sit down and chat about it. Um, so... My sister um, wrote a novel uh, that was published earlier on in the year called Last Days of Joy, which is about a mother who um, tried to kill herself. Um so Anne's way of understanding it is I'm glad she wrote that book and I was very m- moved when she said this book is for my siblings so that it was kind of like a we have a shared mm. memory. Um, not the suicide. The suicide is the almost the Well it is the last act but it's almost uh, it's almost irrelevant to the pain I think. The suicide is predictable. This particular suicide. Okay. It's predictable. It wasn't a surprise. Uh, It's the end of the film but the experience of having watched the movie is what you're struggling with. It's not, this, it's not the act at the end. That's. Um, th- I, don't, I don't think that's. I think understanding our, ch- our childhood. Is something that we all struggle with. And mm-hmm. understanding. Why we were so angry at her. We didn't know. Like each of us were fucking angry at her. And we couldn't pinpoint to a particular thing. A particular event. Micro moments maybe. Maybe um but nothing nothing outstanding you know little slivers of either cruelty or distance um so i don't think my mother is anywhere else now i don't think she's a an embodied mm. uh specter in the clouds awaiting a final forgiving hug when we all go up there um has that, that always been your viewers that your view No now? that's recent now it's recent so her life is finished her life is over um the first thing she did when she was born was inhale <gasps> she came out of her mother <gasps> and the last thing she did was <gasps> Okay, so that, that that life is gone and it's done. I think you realise as you get older that people don't uh, fix things. People don't get around to everything that they think they're going to get around to in their life. You know, we all have things. Oh, one of the days, hmm. I'll get this done. I don't mean stuff like, you know, decide on a haircut or... Uh, but stuff like, I must work on that or I must tell this person or... I must get that thing about myself sorted. People die without doing those things. There's no, people don't die completed. Um, it's a relationship my, with the memory of my mother that's in flux again. I'm, You know, it's mm. in motion. And right now it's one of not really understanding, being very afraid of her actually, afraid of that negative energy, afraid of that, of it almost feels like she wanted to destroy me um, that there was something so negative about her presence that I just had to get away from it um, so there's that reality and there's also the reality of this young girl from Tipperary that things happened to and you know and um, who finally herself had to admit defeat. Maybe suicide is, I is the great declaration. Her suicide, I can't cope with this mm. anymore. You know. Um, now it was a suicide, there was no note. Her sister committed suicide. Wow. Um, there was no, her sister left a note, my aunt Anya. Uh, it was planned. It was, you know, she contacted her ex-husband the night before and says, will you, come round in the morning and bring me some cigarettes because she wanted him to find her rather than her son so he did that and he walked into the room and there was a note and she had uh, overdosed on tablets and was in the bed and it was you know that's how she managed it uh, my mother it was in a an overdose um, it was in a it was it was like she died with a clenched fist of protest um it was uh, no explanation there was no uh apology should, should should people apologize um there was no acknowledgement there was no cry for help there was just gone so um that was her. That was her life. You know. That was her. So yeah. And I know from other people, you know, who die in their forties and their fifties, you don't complete things. You're not. You're not entitled to completion. So if there's stuff you want to do, fucking do it. I don't mean. I don't mean. I want to go to, fucking America. I mean, you know, if there's things to address. You know, you can leave this world, in the middle of the damage that you're doing to other people without ever addressing it so uh, yeah
1: Have you ever done any psychotherapy? Is that process of any interest to you?
0: I've tried it a few times How did you get on? Uh, Not great Um, A lot of people have that experience Yeah It's just not for them But I think that might be because I talk so much that I kind of I'm I remember going into a few of the sessions and I'd be talking for an hour, just weaving, making associations, enjoying the sound out of my own mouth, like it's happening here. I,
1: I'm. That's what's happening in this room right now. Yeah. I can ask about a 14 year old experience and we, we can be in Somalia then within minutes yeah. and then we journey somewhere else. And yeah. I can see why in a therapy room that would be. A feature.
0: <laughs> would be wouldn't be very productive in terms of uh the heart maybe. So I, I um so, f- so you went you went to therapy? Oh a few times, yeah, yeah, a few times.
1: You didn't stay long?
0: It would have been somewhere between six months and a year each time, and it just didn't um it it didn't unlock anything for me. Nothing changed.
1: Six to nine months is still a fair old time. Mm-hmm. Like I've had clients and they're gone after two or three or mm. I went several times over the years and I would have abandoned it after one session at times six months sounds like a fair old time to be exploring or digging or taking the bag See, off I, the back and having a look or I can't
0: I can't shut myself up I can't I can't find the quiet where the work is done if talking is a barrier if each sentence is part of the blockade um, it's too instinctive for me. It's too easy. It's too natural. It just comes flying out of me. I don't know how to do the work. My wife knows how to do it. My, as part of her, you'd know, as part of her qualifying to become a psychotherapist, you know, hundreds of hours mm. of psychotherapy for herself. So she's, she has told me, she says, I've done the snotty work. She said, I've I've been in rooms where I've addressed things and I broke down, and i've been crying for, I've seen other people break down and cry i don't think I'm capable of that. I don't deal with things really in that in that way, or I deal with them differently or i i don't that's not my ability I've tried therapy I've tried all the things, and i just i'm it's so instinctive mm. to me to be in control of The space between my ears. It's so natural to me. To create. A barrier. Constructed out of sentences. And be in control. So when am I not in control? When am I vulnerable? I would say that I'm always. Like that. But it's an act of. Massive self protection. That I'm engaged in. Um. And I, I'm I'm not hard on myself because of that, and maybe I'm maybe it's part of a realization, but that's what you're doing, Tommy. You're just, you know, you're uh, you're keeping everybody away with words, and you think you're understanding stuff, and maybe part of you, know, maybe you are insightful, maybe you are, you do have, you know, maybe you are perceptive with certain things, but it's all to stop the pain, and that that's just that's I might just be part of my way of being here Mm. you know um so the I, I can't tell you when I think I always feel vulnerable I always feel on edge I always feel I have to mind myself in a very active way um so I mean draw your own conclusions from that that's the way I live
1: I was at one of your gigs in Vicar Street in January. Mm. You actually very helpfully left us two tickets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, my wife left it too late to get tickets. It was a birthday present for me and you found out somehow and left us tickets. Um, We had a great night. It it was around the time where, and I, and I really want to ask you what this period was like for you. Mm. When you, you told a joke. Um Emer O'Neill was present, and she spoke about her feelings about the joke. It was a joke about race Emer's a person of color. What was that period like for you
0: um, It was very stressful um because i I know my intentions and uh I'm, I kind of, I was upset that somebody had come along to the show and was hurt by something that was said. Um, I guess I, when I'm on stage, I'm, I flirt with recklessness and I flirt with irresponsibility And those types of things. And sometimes you get it wrong and, you know, it was, uh, it was constructed as a joke, not really about race. It was, it was about, I'm not in a position to tell uh, a black person what's racist. Mm. I don't have that right. I can tell you what is racist towards Irish people. I have that right. I can tell you what I think is misogynist towards men. I have that right. Uh, But I don't have a right to tell a woman if a joke about women is sexist or not. You know, I can say in the construction of it, it wasn't meant to be. So I can say in the construction of the joke... uh, it wasn't meant to be racist but I have to listen to people I'm going to go they, they go actually it I, that's not how I see it and I, I know I, just, I stopped telling it I just kind of you know I'm sorry I phoned her talked to her so I'm sorry you had that experience uh, the joke was dropped I'm, I'm not never going to tell it again um, yeah I don't know I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't absolve myself but at the same time I wouldn't be too hard on myself either in terms of the thing I think it was just a, a joke that I got wrong or something you know um, but not out of malevolence really at all you know Had
1: you ever spoken to somebody who had Emer's experience before because I know you've had strong negative reactions to various jokes you've told over the years has it always led to a conversation to someone who's been particularly aggrieved by it
0: More or less yeah Really uh, But also it's important to remember that I've been on stage for thousands mm-hmm. of hours. You're almost bound to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. You're almost bound to make mistakes. Uh, I'm sorry for that mistake. It's never my intention to hurt people's feelings ever. Um, uh, but I'm also not in control of their experience and what they decide to do with that experience. And that's that is, I'm the focal point of it. But that's that's a whole other. That's another dynamic. I think you just get it wrong sometimes, you know.
1: And and are you left bruised in any way after any of these experiences happen, where you produce material on stage? There's a strong reaction, and there's lots of conversations, and there's lots of people giving opinions. Is, is there a lasting impact in any of that, or, or can you can you? So you know, it's the it's the nature of the job that sometimes.
0: No, no, it's not. It's, yeah, it has a lasting effect. So, and it does. Yeah, totally. Um, It's big, but it also happens in conversation. So, if I'm at, like, I might be hounding myself for stuff that I say to you. I was in a situation last week where I was having dinner with a few different people from a few different countries and I said things that makes everybody laugh but afterwards I'm thinking fuck who does that? Why does somebody do that? Why?" When I was 12 years of age in French class in Navon I told the teacher that we all hated her because she gave us too much homework so who the fuck does that? Why would you do that? Why are you the guy that does that? Why are you the one that's attracted to the tension and has to, for- can't live with it? Now that's not true of me in every situation. Um, but it's definitely part of my personality is that this kind of, who does that? Who the fuck does that? Who thinks of the wildest joke? Who says the thing? people go, whoa, what the fuck? And they laugh, but, you know. So if I'm, I I can describe to you the role of the trickster in society. The trickster is somebody who takes neither weakness nor strength seriously. So will attack the weak as, as much as he attacks the powerful because neither of those two positions are taken seriously. I can tell you what the trickster the the benefits of having a trickster in the culture the wonderful kind of lunatic anarchy of having a trickster the necessity for the trickster but no one makes me do that this isn't a, a job where it said okay that's what you've chosen this is what you have to do so I choose what I do on stage so I can back it up theoretically by going that's what the trickster would do Um, but I choose to do that it's not I could do other types of comedy I could you know I think I don't know if I could but you know um, so I can tell you that stuff I've said on stage has an effect on my family you know the biggest worry about the most recent thing was the effect that I would have on my kids if my kids found out about it that was the biggest thing about
1: the January yeah. story. Just
0: to worry about that. Oh, my God. What if, the you know, something says something to the kids.
1: And has anyone said anything to your kids?
0: I've mentioned it to 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 them and it's kind of it, it, it didn't happen. They heard about it or something, but they weren't didn't give me the impression that it was hurtful to them or something. But I know it's very uncomfortable for them having a dad who does that for a living. Now, it's important to put it into into uh, perspective. You know, it doesn't happen very... Like, one of my daughters said to me recently, no. uh, seeing you is like having a kind of a... It, it's like having a mentally ill grandparent go on the Late Late Show and you're just wondering what the fuck is he going to say that's what they said so I know my kids they love the chat show do they? yeah they love it Um, because it's kind of like okay that's the dad we recognise from that's part of the dad we recognise from the house you know they they like Derry Girls because you know dad's been funny but the stand up um it gives them anxiety. You know, uh it No, not all maybe the girls more than the boys. Um I didn't know that getting into stand up. You know, uh that that would happen. I'm not I'm not mature in many ways. You know, um like I said it, I'm I'm instinctive and maybe those it's that wiring I'm talking about is Maybe any tablets or something. You know, there's um, f- when COVID happened. Are, are we? Is everybody still here? <laughs> no, this. I think this is par- partly answer what what uh, one of the questions I've asked myself. Um, <laughs> uh, during COVID, so there two years of no gigs. And um, I, COVID started. Is, is this exhausting to listen to?
1: I'm hanging on every word.
0: Oh God, I'm aware of the listener now. I'm probably off. I need a break from that fucker. Um. So um, I had two years of no stage work. And I was supposed to finish off an English tour. And I didn't want to go back. And I said to my manager I said I want to stop doing stand up I don't want to be that person anymore I've been 2 years away from that chaos and that rough pendulum of uh adrenaline and self-loathing and I don't want to do it anymore I'm done with that I'll do other stuff And she said to me okay um but it's going to cost you money to cancel the tour <clears throat> And I said, well, how much is it going to cost? And she said, it's going to cost about 40 grand to cancel the English tour. And I didn't have it. And I said, okay, I'll call you uh, after I've had a think about it. And I just started getting loads of ideas about what was possible on stage. And I went back doing stand-up. Right. Um, But I I remember when I was away from it going... I don't need that in my life. And if you, if you... If you said to me, no... But I, see things, I'd, I'd fucking stop everything if I could. I'd stop the chat show. I'd, I'd stop the podcast. I'd stop the stand-up. I'd stop acting. Do you what? know what I mean? I'd stop everything. If you could. I think so. Part of me, part of me is, in, is interested in destruction. Okay, let's fucking knock everything to the ground and see what emerges afterwards. That's definitely part of the condition.
1: <laughs> You're about to go back on the road, aren't you? You're yeah. off to America. So, move to America now. Next week. Are you excited by touring? Yeah, I am. As much as you always were.
0: I Going think- to somewhere like America. Yeah. I love it over there. Actually, I didn't. Re- I didn't think that I would, but I do. Um, I love that. F- it's such a sweet feeling, you know. Of that laughter. I mean, it's so. It's a narcotic of some sort. It's so enveloping and positive. And the the heat is. It's a warm place you can feel the energy of the lights on your face and your body is engaged and it is a a, a, a place to be that is of wonder. Um, and an interesting thing has happened for me with the... So, my missus reckons I've got ADD. And it was interesting when it happened when she said to me, look, because I've been diagnosed with other stuff before, which didn't ring true. Um, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And that just ultimately didn't really, maybe you can have more than, maybe I'm greedy, maybe you can have more than one diagnosis. But the ADD for the minute seems, there's a a degree of accuracy in it. Um, And so part of that (coughs) is... um, on stage now of allowing whatever is in my head to come out my mouth. So the fractured nature of that, of using it, of hopping from character to character without any explanation, of suddenly singing, of making strange physical shapes, um, using for no reason going into one strange accent after another seems to me to be it's a it's it's very indulgent. But there at the moment I'm 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 half interested in it. In that. So I'm excited about that for America because the majority of those people either haven't seen me before or it's been a very long time since they've seen me. So they don't have the sense of um don't have the sense of knowing that an Irish audience would have uh, so that's good I'm, I'm excited about that
1: well I wish you well with it. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure It really what has th- been a pleasure that's what I to said
0: at the end of my chat show
1: hearing all about all your, your your wiring and your condition and I really wish you well with managing it all
0: thank you Richard all right well, thanks so much Jane. no worries yes, no you. worries if it's okay and no it's fantastic see you down the road receive god bless, god bless. You, get in touch anytime you're inclined okay all right,
1: so here we are back in my car this time we are parked up in the Atlone services station it's been a little over an hour since we ended the conversation that you've all just heard So we've had a little bit of time to reflect on how it went. Quite interesting, because you started the conversation um, by asking Tommy how he felt after he records his show. So an hour later, I wonder how you're feeling after that chat. How do I feel? First of all, I I absolutely loved it. I, I, I loved the setting. I loved sitting in two chairs opposite each other, just asking Tommy Tiernan to open up or to reflect on what he's been through. And I got no pushback at all and and watching him kind of try and join the dots about what he's been through the impact it's had on him and why he is the way he is like he was mm. so open just trying mm. to do his best to explain the workings of his mind um, like there are some conversations I'll have and I'm sure that the right thing to do would be to interject and to ask them to probe or dig a little deeper into certain things that they've just said but with Tommy his, his, his speaking style or the way his mind works I think sometimes it's, you give him space to work it out in real time yeah right? explore the question and, and, and get there via various different examples and memories and anecdotes Um, really really fascinating interviewee before we go, important news. Just want to remind you all that this entire series of episodes is brought to you by now. And there's got huge games over the next couple of months. They've got the Manchester Derby, City v Liverpool, Newcastle v Man U, and Man United's trip to Anfield. The next big one coming up is the Merseyside Derby. That's this weekend on the 21st of October. So if that's your thing, Stream Liverpool v Everton with a Now Sports membership. Okay, I want to finish this one up now and by saying a big, big thank you to Tommy Tiernan for being as open and welcoming and accommodating and interesting as he was. Thanks to my producer. That's you, Killian. Thank you, Richie. Episode is a second captain's podcast and is part of the Acast Creator Network. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you next week.
0: Is that, that's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those boys. The second captain! Second captain,
1: first captain, whatever.